Support for this podcast is provided by That Cast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at thatcast.com. Want to advertise on this podcast or one like it and reach a targeted and engaged audience? Go to thatcast.com to start reaching our audience. ThatCast Network presents The Beaver Buzz, a look inside Oregon State Athletics with your host, Bob Lundeberg. Welcome, everybody, to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast Podcast Network. This is your host, Bob Lundeberg, and I have a fairly baseball-centric show for you guys this week uh, to get ready for a big three-game home series with Utah. Assistant coach Andy Jenkins was nice enough to sit down with me and talk about where Oregon State is at overall halfway through the regular season. But before we get to Andy, I did want to give a brief recap of the Beavers' women's basketball season. Uh, Their run ended last week in the Sweet 16 as Oregon State fell to top seed Louisville 61-44 in Albany, New York. UConn wound up winning the region, to nobody's surprise, and advanced to the Final Four. You know, it, it was a tremendous season overall for the Beavers, in my opinion, as they, they overcame the loss of top shooter Cat Tudor to finish 26-8 and eight overall. You know, I really I really believe that Michaela Pivik stepped up her game kind of just throughout the entire season and established herself as one of the premier players in women's college basketball. You know, Destiny Slocum, Aaliyah Goodman, Maddie Washington, Taya Corsdale, and others just all showed, you know, a dramatic improvement throughout the year. And, and those players that I mentioned in particular are all slated to return in 2019-2020. The Beavers will lose uh, seniors Katie McWilliams and Joe Grimmick to graduation. But, you know, I, I think next year's Oregon State team might be Scott Rook's most talented yet. I, I would be stunned if the team wasn't battling with Oregon and Stanford for the Pac-12 title next year. So overall, good season for the Beavers. The run ended a little bit early, but I, I thought, you know, considering some of the injuries they suffered, it was, it was a very strong run. As always, I want to thank you for listening to the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. You can find this show plus many others on the site. The Beaver Buzz podcast is also available on iTunes and Spotify. So please, please, please subscribe, rate, and review if you like the content you all have been hearing. Uh, we are going to take a quick break, and I will be back in a bit with Andy Jenkins from the Oregon State baseball team. Andy and I talked about this year's inconsistent offense, uh, Adley Rutschman's greatness, and also what it was like to hit for the cycle in a Super Regional game. I I think it's a conversation that you guys are all really going to enjoy. I love coming to Redline because I like working out with kids, unlike other gyms where there's a bunch of big dudes slamming weights and stuff. And also, it's just a really good workout. Come down and join the Redline team here in Clackamas online at redlineathletics.com. Want to grow your money and avoid pitfalls in financial planning? Check out Chuck Price and Investing Simplify. Find it and other shows on the ThatCast Network. ThatCast.com From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, we are back uh, with a very special guest here, uh, Oregon State assistant baseball coach Andy Jenkins. Uh, Andy is a South Salem High School graduate who was an infielder for Pat Casey in 2004 and 2005, helping lead the Beavers to their first College World Series appearance in more than 50 years. Uh, Andy played then six seasons of pro ball before embarking on his coaching career. He primarily works with Oregon State's infielders and catchers and also coaches third base. Um 
And now he's uh, taken the time to join me on the Beaver Buzz podcast uh, before practice here at Goss Stadium. So, Andy, thanks so much uh, for hopping on the show. Yeah, it's my pleasure. <laughs> well, as we're recording this, uh, the Beavers are 26-1 overall and 6-3 and in Pac-12 play, entering a three-game home series with Utah. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, both locally and nationally, maybe around the country, thought this could be a bit of a rebuilding year for the Beavers uh, coming off that 2018 National Championship. You know, it's just a long list of names of guys that have moved on. You know, the, the team has really just kind of kept on winning. So I guess, what do you think it says about this program and, uh, you know, the team as a whole that just, you know, the group, they continue to pile up wins uh, with so many new pieces, you know, scattered throughout the lineup? Yeah, you know, one, one thing that comes to mind, you know, coaching with uh, Coach Casey the last few years is and we had a conversation one time about, you know, building a program and getting over that hump and how 2005 made him feel and, and some of the moments that he's had in his career. Um, and he, he said, you know, building a, a program to win and, and do something like that is, is, is very good. But he said maintaining excellence is, is something that he think is, is very hard and, and it's something that we've done. And so, you know, when you think about the last two years, uh, you know, certainly the national championship team and finishing off what, what we wanted to, to finish off. Uh, coming into this year, you know, you got some pieces of that. You got some, some pitchers, you got some stud players. Um, but, you know, at times being 20 and six and six and three in the Pac-12 right now, I think we're stacking wins. Certainly we're not yet last year's team. We've lost some of those players, uh, great players, first round picks that are going to be major leaguers. But um, we have no slouches out there. We have a lot of guys in different lineups um, that we've, we're trying to find a, um, you know, something that works going down the stretch as we get into some more competitive Pac-12 games and think about the postseason. Uh, if we're fortunate enough to, to put ourselves in a position to be there, um, uh, we're in a good position. We like it. We just need to get better. We need to run the bases better. We need to pitch better on the midweeks. Um, you know, we're striking out way too much. There's certainly a lot of things that, that is very obvious, and, and we're addressing those on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned that the pitching has been pretty solid. Well, more than solid. It's been pretty spectacular all season. But, you know, the, the offense is definitely still very much a work in progress. Um, entering the Utah series, the team is averaging about nine strikeouts per game, hitting 251 overall. Uh, you know, a season ago, everyone, you know, the team hit 321, struck out 6.4 times per game. You know, not, not exactly a fair comparison, obviously, because last year's team was arguably, you know, one of the best offenses in program history. But, you know, there, there is no doubt that uh, this year's group hasn't, you know, yet hit consistently. So I guess kind of from your perspective, where do you think the offense sort of is at? And do you, you know, expect some of the veteran guys that maybe haven't hit as well so far, do you kind of expect them? you think they'll be able to get it going you know in the second half of the season yeah you know I think when you're coming off of last year um, and, and then certainly going down to Arizona we did swing the bat and and we did get off to a hot start eight and zero. Um, had some guys really uh, get going offensively um, then it, it's been a little bit in, inconsistent since then and I think there's a few things I think there's a lot of inexperienced guys that are um you know, for me, experience is always the greatest teacher. Um, through failure, you learn what you can and can't do. Um, and, and I believe there's some guys that maybe sat on the bench last year that didn't get those at-bats um, are getting those in these first 70 to 100 at-bats, and, and they're seeing some failure, um, and then they're seeing some successes. And I think on the other end, there's some guys that did have success last year um, and did play a nice role. And, and what we had going, they're maybe putting a little bit too much pressure on themselves to, to be the guy that, you know, they're supposed to be, I, I guess, for lack of a better word. And so, um, you know, 
those guys know who they are and, and the guys that are struggling and inexperienced know who they are and um, it's our jobs to ad address those guys watch film talk about approach um, talk about two strike approach right now you know and, and, and to get that complete package but uh, certainly there's much more potential than we're showing offensively and um, if anybody really follows the, the 26 games that we had and you know we definitely have a, a, a punch to throw with with Adley and and and, and uh, certainly leading that charge and, and Bo and McGarry's been hot and cold and um, th there's guys that can do it we just need uh, maybe a, a, a totality effort you know of the team well you've played with and coached a lot of great ones I guess you know I have to ask this to everyone at this point but where, where, where does Adley kind of rank on that list for you he's been he was spectacular as a sophomore you know in the regular season and the postseason and he's I don't know if he's stepped it up another level this year but I mean he's been just incredible you know two-way player I guess for you where, where does kind of Adley rank in some of the greats you know again you've played with and coached yeah you know um I certainly I mean just off the top of my head back you know Jacoby Ellsbury is a guy that I played with he was my college roommate um you know anything he put in play he was safe because of his speed uh he didn't have the power that he showed in the big leagues uh you know down the years but that was more of a development um of him getting stronger understanding pitchers you got Nick Madrigal Michael Conforto uh is one of my favorites uh, you know, uh, at least was interesting and different from those guys. All those guys were freshman All-Americans and, um, you know, had hot freshman years. Um, Adley's role really as a freshman was to receive, catch, make sure we win. He struggled at the plate. Uh, but what he's done the last two years, certainly in Omaha, and, uh, you know, it, it's always amazing to me when you have a hitter that nobody wants to pitch to. Um, and, and, and you are the guy that the pitching coach and head coach is saying, this guy cannot beat you. Um, they still beat you, and he still takes his pitches, and he knows when to strike and, and uh, take advantage of the pitcher's misses. Um, to look at his numbers and knowing that he's projected to be this and one of the hottest hit hitters in the country, that, that is very, very impressive uh, to, to still be doing that. And, and not getting uh, you know pitched to like like an average guy. <clears throat> What's crazy too is he's about to set the school's all-time record for career walks halfway through his junior season. And I mean, as you mentioned, as a freshman, he was a guy that wasn't one of the primary offensive players. And then last year he certainly was. But teams had to pitch around Trevor Larnick and Nick Madrigal and Caden Grenier and guys like that too. Just I mean, what does it kind of say about him and his plate discipline that you know this is the first year where he's been the number one primary guy that teams have kind of had to work around and pitch around, and then he's about to set this walks record I mean that shows really really tremendous plate discipline doesn't it yeah and, and I you know I'm not in front of the stats right now but I, you know as far as intentional walks where this year you don't have to throw the four pitches you just tell them to go to first you know there, there's been a handful of those for him but mm -hmm. um, there's times where I've scratched my head like why aren't they not doing that right now uh, we would probably do that in the respects to um, some of the players in our league uh, you know uh, to, there's two of them that I can think of one was just here where we just gave him the pass well you're not going to beat you we're going to go after the next guy Andrew Vaughn um, yeah Vaughn and you got you got Torkelson and, and, and you got Bishop down there mm -hmm. guys that are really really dangerous um, the fact that they're pitching to Adley and he's still able to work walks um, and yeah. not get outside of that man I want to hit so bad that I'm going to my aggression and, and my frustration that they're pitching around me is going to take over um, the ability to still still see pitches there's so many uh, I bet he's got five or eight um, walks where he's been down 0-2 this year which is really impressive as a hitter it's tough to do 
Well, after Adley, probably the, you know, arguably the most consistent position player of the group has been uh, Bo Phillip, the shortstop. And you know, just like you, I know uh, Bo came uh, to Oregon State from the junior college ranks, and he started every game this year at shortstop. He's made uh, just three errors so far. He's batting 291 with three homers, 26 RBIs. You know, Bo had some pretty big shoes to fill, obviously, with you know, Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, Caden Grenier there before. But I mean, he's certainly done a really, really nice job at shortstop, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he's one of the biggest keys to, to our success uh, so far this season. I mean, you think about Caden and Madrigal and uh, how how big of a position, how important the middle infield is is for anybody, uh, particularly here at, at Oregon State, where you have um, a history of guys that are, that have been great players. Um, you know, to come in and, and, and you know, played for the Knights this summer. Um, you know, Coach Jeske recruited him out of uh, uh, Delta down in uh, Northern California. We knew he had talent. We knew he had physicality. Um, you know, there was a, a sense of discipline um, from making some errors maybe that he made in the summer, the routine plays. Uh, for me, that's, you know, it, he might agree or he might not. Lack of focus to everything you do, every ground ball you take. And I think the expectations of uh, certainly our infield and, and mostly in, in this program is we're going to practice hard every day we're going to play hard every day every pitch um, and I th his focus has been outstanding and I think that's eliminated maybe some of the errors that he's made in the past um, and he's gotten more consistent with the bat you know he's going to swing and miss um, but when he does that it's going to be with the intent to hit the ball in the parking lot and um, you know that's that's a great asset for a player where you, you have to tone him down at times you don't, you don't want to Hey, swing the bat, swing the bat, you know, and, and so um, he's learned a lot this year, but he, he also came in with a lot of talent and has that Juco uh, toughness, that Juco grinder that, that we uh, um, often talk about in the game of baseball. And, um, you know, he's, he's certainly been a, a huge spot for us. I mean, some of the other new faces to fans have been getting a lot of time in the infield recently. And George Mendezona, Ryan Ober, uh, freshman uh, Jay Carvey's been playing a lot. Um, we've also seen what freshman Matthew Gretler, he's been getting some pretty solid at-bats as well. I guess, how do you kind of feel about this, you know, young, more inexperienced group of infielders as a whole and what they've been able to do so far first half of the year? Well, I love the fact that they're all getting... Uh they're all getting opportunities. Um, you know, uh, Ducart's another one that you didn't mention there. Where yeah, Ducart you know, as well. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's it's just a situation where the talent of all those guys are, are there. Um, the mindset of being prepared to play, understanding uh, some of the things that they do at this level, uh, the, the speed of the base runners, uh, going able to field a bunt, um, having composure out there. All of them have, are getting an opportunity to, to feel that out. And, and, and through trial and error, some of them have had good at-bats. And, um, you know, a couple guys that are playing right now didn't play early, and a couple guys that aren't playing right now played early. So, and and that, can, that can twist really, really quick here, you know. Um, guys get hot and guys get cold, and it's from a defensive standpoint, um, it's been outstanding. I think pitching and defense um, keeps you in all the games and, 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 and arguably wins your championship and timely hitting and when you get that hit determines by how much. Um, certainly you want to be offensive, but uh, one thing that all those guys that you just mentioned, um, they play defense and, and really who's who's going to be the offensive force, um, going to have a little bit more speed than the others is, is kind of getting the nod right now. But uh, co competition is still going on. I know we're getting towards midseason here, and um, there's two guys playing that, that uh, you know, where there's two guys that aren't, and, and that can change. And, and both of those parties know that it's, it's up to them to, to keep competing in practice.
Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I think you know probably entering the year, a lot of people figured Zach Taylor and Andy Armstrong would be two of the team's bigger offensive contributors, just kind of what they had done in the past and the experience they had. But, you know, neither of them has really quite gotten it going so far, and you know both of them are, are really good kids that I've gotten to know over the years, and they seem to be you know maintaining good attitudes throughout all of this. But I guess do you, you think has it, has it been tough on those couple of uh, you know those veterans who have been struggling at the dish? I mean, obviously you had a lengthy uh, lengthy career at the college and pro level, you know what it's like to go through a hitting slump. What do you think those I mean, it's probably different for each. But what do you think those two kids kind of need to do to, to bust out of this? Well, certainly uh, you said good kids. I'll say great just because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm biased. But I mean, <laughs> you're, you're talking about uh, two local Oregonians, one from Salem and, and one from Sherwood that, um, you know, are just student athletes to the bone and, and work hard at everything. And I, and I think last year we had a lot of talent. Um, and those guys were penciled around some of that talent, uh, so to speak. And so I think that they were able to go out and maybe relax a little bit more. I do think the expectations of those certain players leaving, um, you know, Zach's a team leader. Um, certainly Army is, is a team leader as well when you think about Coach Bailey's little five foxhole that he talks to and, and, and relates to. Um, you know, it, it, the season's still young for those guys. And I've seen that in this program, I've, I've played in where guys – uh, get hot late and, and you play the hot bat you play the great glove and and both those guys I told them yesterday I'm really proud of them and the fact that they're they're uh, coaching up some of the guys that are playing I know they're frustrated I know they think they should be the guy out there right now and and because they know they've done it at that at the highest uh, level of college baseball both of them yeah um, so they're working but they're playing great defense they're defensive replacements right now I guess if, if that's how you're looking at the games but um, Andy Army a- Andy Armstrong uh, hit you know almost 20 doubles last year and 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 played some great plays and and everybody knows what Zach and the composure he played with down the stretch so um, we certainly are looking for those guys to jump back in and 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 be a force down the stretch no for sure well we're going to take a quick break and uh, we'll be right back with more from Andy Jenkins Navigating through today's financial investment world can seem pretty scary. Now, here's the good news. Chuck Price, president of Price Financial Group Wealth Management, introduces a new revolutionary concept that will change how you invest now and in the future. It's called Asset Lock. Asset Lock monitors your investment accounts 24-7, 365, and alerts you when action needs to be taken. And now, Chuck Price offers Asset Lock. At Price Financial Group Wealth Management, we believe all our clients deserve to have Asset Lock monitoring their accounts. So call Chuck today or online at pfgwm.com and learn how you can get Asset Lock on your accounts today for free. Price Financial Group Wealth Management, because the smart investor knows what you don't know can hurt you. Call 503-253-3000. That's 503-253-3000. Anna Canzano hosts That Expert Show, the show you help run. Hear the top experts on a variety of topics interviewed by a top journalist. Find That Expert Show and other shows on the ThatCast Network. Visit ThatCast.com. From Guild Coliseum to Reeser Stadium, it's the Beaver Buzz with Bob Lundeberg. Well, we are back with Andy Jenkins, and I have to say, Andy, I've always wondered, uh, what's it like coaching third base? Because, you know, for whatever reason, that has just always seemed like one of the most stressful jobs on the field. I don't know why. I guess, what, what is it like being out there and doing that? You know how I, I, I kind of compare it to the offensive lineman. <laughs> um, you know, the guy's going to run up the middle and, 
you know, go 80 yards for the touchdown and, and it's going to get the work up front. Not that I'm, uh, you know, doing the work up front, but my point is, is when you make the mistake, everybody kind of <laughs> will understand who missed the block or who did whatever. But uh, yeah, it's fun. I'm out there, um, you know basically I feel like I'm involved in the instinctual part of baseball, which I, you know, haven't played, uh, you know, I haven't been out of the game that long. And so being able to make calls on the fly um, and understand situations, I certainly like it um, much more than just sitting in the dugout with a clipboard and chewing seeds. And, 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 you know, it gets me out there. It gets me into the game. And and I certainly like that part of it. But um, there's tough calls. You know, sometimes the faster the runner, the harder it is. Sometimes the slower the runner, the harder it is. It just depends. And so when you get, get your base runners um, and, and today a focus is going to be in practice on base running and getting a little bit better but when you can take have those guys take ownership of their reads and doing stuff on their own it really makes your job easier so when you got Grenier and you got Madrigal and Preston Jones and Kyler McMahon guys that really have instincts that can run on the bases um, basically I'm just a stop sign and a, and a, and a green light to, to them. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that I guess I hadn't thought about. And in terms of coaching, as the third base coach, you really that it really is the closest to making that snap as a player decision, you know, when you're on the field because, you know, when a runner's on second, you've got, you know, a ball goes into left field, you gotta think, okay, what's the runner's foot speed? What kind of jump did they get? How many outs are there? What's the you know, what's the outfielder's arm like? So it's it's just putting all those kind of things together in a, in a split second and just trying to make the best decision you can. Is that just kind of what the process is like? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that uh, a few things. One, you have scouting reports um, typically that you're going to get, hey, the left fielder for Utah's got a good arm, right fielder's got a good arm, center fielder's just average. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go out, you watch their infield, outfield. You put yourself in a good position, uh, you know, in the box or down the, down the line a little bit to anticipate if it's wet outside or if it's you know a guy might get a good grip on the ball um you know i'm gonna be aggressive we're gonna send guys i tell our guys you better look to score you better look to go first to third and i'll and i'll uh, stop you if i feel but you know the guy's got to make the play he's got to come up he's got to make a perfect throw the guy's got to catch it and tag it it seems like simple baseball but um, more often than not when you take an advantage and, and you be aggressive you're putting you're applying a pressure on the defense and uh um, you know, you, you want to be aggressive, but you don't want to be stupid, and, 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 and that's kind of how I see it. Is there still a specific decision or two from over the years of you doing it that still kind of, I don't want to say haunts you, but still yeah. lives with you a little bit? I mean, there has to be one or two decisions over the years that you, you wish you would have maybe had back in that moment. You know what? Uh, there was a, you know, a midweek where, you know, Case and I had some words, and, and <laughs> obviously I made a mistake, and, you know, it, it, it's funny, <laughs> the competitor and him, and I fire back at him, and, yeah. you know, clearly I made a mistake, and you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, just there's For moments sure. like that, you know, and just competitors, coaches getting on each other, and, you know, in, in the environment and stuff, but um, no, I, you know, any mistake I ever made, I did it with intent mm-hmm. um, to, to do something well. I, yeah. I think we, we, when our guys make errors in the infield, or, you know, base running or whatever, you know, we encourage them to be aggressive in, in, in their nature. And, um, you know, certainly coaches aren't perfect in the moves we make um, with the lineups and, you know, pinch hitting and running the bases and sending guys. Um, we're not perfect either. But mm-hmm. uh, the idea is to, to go to school, learn from the, the, um, the mistakes and uh, um, go back out there with an edge um, and, and don't let that error that you made or misjudgment that you made uh, bother you uh, the next time you go out there. So. 
I guess from an overall coach's perspective then, how are things kind of maybe different with, you know, Pat Bailey in charge instead of Pat Casey? And I guess also how are they kind of the same? Because, you know, the similarities just when you sit here and watch practice and also some game stuff, you know, there's, the similarities can be pretty obvious. But, you know, I think there maybe are also a couple areas where there's some differences as well. I guess where do you kind of stand on that? You know, it, it's pretty similar. I, you know, it, 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 the nature of their personalities, I think it, there's differences for sure. Um you know, uh, the presence and the longevity of what coach has done in this coach Casey's done in this program. Uh, I played for him, uh, but I have that same respect for coach Bailey. He's, he's been around the game a long time. Um, you know, we run practice. I, position the infielders on placement where guys for for hitters uh, him and coach Gibson do the outfield Nate does the pitching and, and obviously Nate has done such a good job that um, coach Casey trusted him to do his work and um, that hasn't changed so our practices are pretty much format formatted the same um, you know there's there's different motivational pieces that maybe both have um, that, that, are, that work and um, uh, to say it's not an adjustment, I, I'd be lying. But you know, both of them are very competitive. Um, they're on top of it. They hold their coaches and their players accountable, um, and, and they're both winners. And and right now, um, you know, is much as we don't look like last year's team or the year before, uh, we will never be last year's team or the team before. And I think the the fact that we do have new guys, we do have a new coach. Um, and some things have changed in this program over the course of the year to be 20 and six and six and three. Uh, we got something to work with and, and, and we're going to only uh, try to increase that and, and, and make a run to, to Omaha. That's that nothing has changed uh, uh, in, in the eyes of, of what we do as a staff and what we do as a program. Well, I don't want to date you too much, but you graduated from South Salem in 2001. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And then you played two seasons at Mountain Hood Community College sure. uh, before transferring to Oregon State. So I guess how then did you go from the NWAC to then playing for Coach Casey at, uh, in the Pac-10? That's then Pac-10 back then. That's a, that's a pretty big jump, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I, out of high school, I, I, I was pretty good. Um, I had some opportunities to, to walk on uh, at some places. I had some small scholarships. Uh, Lewis and Clark State was a powerhouse um, NAIA team that, that uh, offered me a scholarship. Uh, I, I, and I committed to them, actually, and I was playing up in the uh, – um, the Oregon Bowl football-wise, and I just I was having a hard time late summer sleeping one night, and I had a good relationship with Gabe Sandy, who's a scout for the uh, the Marlins, and he just said, hey, you know, Mount Hoods, we're, we just won the NWAC, we're doing a good job, and I knew the the um, the program pretty well, and so I decided to go there, get better, maybe get that opportunity that I want after um, you know a couple years there, and and I went there and I got better as a baseball player. I got, um, you know, more physical in the weight room. Um, I was on top of school uh, as a college kid. And so um, then my success there got the coach's attention, um, basically at a lot of schools in the Pac-12 and and beyond. And my brother was playing football here uh, under Erickson, and then it went to Riley. And, you know, that was really the comfortable decision I made. Uh, the Pac-12 conference, uh, I, I certainly had respect for Coach Casey and his staff. It's, it was different then than it is now. You come here to, to go to Omaha, and you come here to play for a legendary coach and for the facilities and the fan base. Uh, not to say that that wasn't there in 2004, uh, but it really wasn't. You know, <laughs> it, it, it was a competitive team that was kind of just missing the playoffs, that were trying to find their way, and, um, you know, that's what got me to Oregon State. Yeah, 2004, you guys didn't get in, probably were a bubble team that year. And then senior year, 2005, won the Pac-10, did get in. And just looking at it, you know, Corvallis, super regional, winner-take-all game three against rival USC. You, you had a pretty good day at the plate that day, didn't you? Yeah, you know, that, that whole year, um, 
the expectations of what we were going to do. We knew uh, we had some some young studs, you know, cocky freshmen and Darwin Barney. We had Kevin Gunderson. We had Dallas Buck. Uh, Jacoby was a stud. Um, you know, I took on a leadership role and um, was feeling really confident about, you know, who I was and what kind of leader I wanted to be. And uh, Tyler Graham, so many local guys, so many, uh, we just bonded in a certain way that, that we try to mold still, you know, where they're not always going to get Northwest kids, but um, there's a type of player, a type of person, a type of culture that's here. And I think in 2005, we, we created that. We created that kind of um, frame for, for what I think Coach Casey wanted. And, um, you know, yeah, it just, you know, I remember being down at Stanford, we won the series and um, we hadn't done that forever. And, and we all looked around and like, hey, man, this preseason that we had isn't a fluke. We're doing it in the Pac-12, Pac-10 at that time. Um, and then we got into the regionals and it just kept contagious. And, um, you know, certainly that day is, is one I'll always remember, um, you know, and getting the opportunity to go to Omaha and, you know, just hearing Coach Casey talk about what that feeling meant to him you know on on the the I think it was a Sunday because we won it on a Monday we we basically let SC come back for that you know um rubber match and uh um you know to respond to that and to go yeah. to Omaha for the first time to look back on you know VHS is now you know it's it's, <laughs> it's crazy where technology has gotten but uh um, certainly a great moment for the program, myself, uh, my teammates that were involved, and a lot of them still come back, and you know some of them are coaching on the team with Gibson and, and Graham, and yeah. um, you know it, it, it's really set set the bar for what continues to happen, and you know Darwin and Mitch, those guys just you know grabbed arms and, and took it on in 06, 07, and um, you know you fight through a couple of years, you come back in 13 with the Confortos and. Wetzler and, uh, and then, and then certainly the last couple of years, uh, you know, all those teams are banded together in some way um, through Coach Casey, through his assistant coaches. But, um, you know, the alumni stuff and all that we do, there's a culture and a type of kid that we got here. And, and, and that's what we're always looking for. Andy wouldn't say it, but he went five for five and hit for the cycle <laughs> in game three of the Corral Super Regional. That that had to be just wild. That, that had to be a wild game, right? Yeah, it was. You know, we we. Uh, I remember we woke up and Jacoby and I, you know, drove to the field and uh, we stopped at 7-Eleven and I, I remember <laughs> we got a couple donuts, great pregame meal <laughs> for a big game. And uh, I, I remember uh, the hitting group was, uh, uh, you know, Jacoby led off and then it went Graham and it went Darwin and it went me and we were all in the same group. And I remember Coach Casey just kind of looked at us and he goes, if you guys want to extend it to the next group, just keep hitting because – I want you guys to make sure, you know, it was one of those type <laughs> yeah. of days and, um, you know, great atmosphere, great crowd, uh, got a couple hits. Next thing you know, center fielder comes on and I'm not a speed guy uh, and he dives prematurely. <laughs> and so I get a triple and, um, you know, we had a, we scored 10 runs. So everybody was doing it that day and we did enough on the mound. And, uh, you know, that dog pile uh, never, swelled, uh, n never felt uh, that sweet, um, you know, uh, being a part of that. So. Well, you got to play an old Rosenblatt in Omaha and obviously coached now several times in the new stadium. I guess, you know, what, what's your preference there? Do you, do, you prefer the, do you prefer kind of the old historic feel of Rosenblatt? I mean, I, I've only been to the new stadium, which is, you know, really nice, shiny, great amenities, I guess. But I'm sure they have very different feels, don't they? Definitely. Uh, you know, Rosenblatt in 05, you know, we, we felt like we were – you know, um, at the win in Vegas. I mean, it was crazy. It, it didn't matter how old it was. It looked new to us. Yeah. Um, and then, 
uh, I actually got to play in AAA when I was with the Rangers at Rosenblatt. We were playing the Omaha team that was playing there, and, and I'll tell you what, it was a hot summer day. There was nobody there, and it <laughs> looked old, and it looked different. Um, and uh, you know, then you go to Ameritrade in 2013, my first year coming back coaching, and I'll say that it was so nice, and the ball went nowhere that that's all I can really remember because Danny <laughs> Hayes hitting that ball. And my arm's waving like we're going to go up and maybe even uh, we're going to tie and maybe even go up. And the guy catches it at the wall. Um, I, I didn't really like that part of the game. You know, the the, the, the big fly ball is something that I think um, should happen. And, and, and what they did in, in college baseball is they changed the baseball to, you know, a tighter seam. And, and, and now, I, as you know, with some of the home runs that have happened and, and all that, I think, uh, you know, Ameritrade is a special place just like Rosenblatt. Well, a few weeks ago, and I, I sat down with Tyler Graham, you know, Oregon State's current director of player development we referenced earlier, and he certainly thought that this group had the potential to, to put it all together and make another strong, deep postseason run. And I, I know that you know, there's a lot of regular season left, a lot of Pac-12 games left, but I guess you know, before we even really start thinking about the postseason, I guess, but you know, do, you, do you think this group, I guess you kind of did mention it, you do think this group is capable of putting together a really, really strong second half and, and getting back to the ultimate goal, which, which is the College World Series? I do. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're we're not playing our best baseball and we're winning baseball games. And, and, and there's a reason why um, our RPI is high because we are playing competitive teams and some of those teams um, will will be in the playoffs and, and do have a chance. Uh, you know, we went down to UCLA at their place and let a game slip away with with some errors. Um, you know, let's just say we take two or three down there from a team that that, that I believe has a chance to go to Omaha. Um, but, you know, the, we, we got to continue to work hard. We got to fix the things that we're not doing right. We got to get consistent in some areas. We got to find a consistent lineup um, as much as we can. Um, but a lot of guys are getting opportunities. I think last year the feeling at this time was, I can't wait till Omaha. You know what I mean? And I think everybody had that edge and had that excitement to get back there. Um, we need to work to get to Omaha this year a little bit more than maybe we did last year. And uh, um, that's what's happening each day, each meeting, inspirational talk. Um, leaders are letting, uh, we're letting them know that you got to take ownership and you got to run with it. And um, uh, But certainly I think this team could be special. Well, Andy, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was that was really fun. We'll, we'll have to do this again before the season's over, I think. Yeah, man, my pleasure. I'll, I'll let you uh, get out of here on that note and uh, get ready for practice. And that uh, that will do it for this week's edition of the Beaver Buzz podcast, part of the ThatCast podcast network. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. And we'll be back with another show in probably the next week or two as the Oregon State football team readies for its spring game. Have a terrific weekend, everybody. Discover the growing lineup of ThatCast network podcasts and videocasts at ThatCast.com.